My guest today is the Director of Enterprise Sales for EMEA at Iterable. Here's what some of his colleagues say about him. Byron is a hugely talented, highly professional, personable, and a true inspiration. Here's another one. He's fair, reliable, and decisive, and most importantly, respected amongst his team members, peers, and company executives. He always wants the best for his team and strives to ensure everyone who works for him is successful. And finally, he's calm and collected, a wonderful sales leader with a win-win strategy 100% of the time. Byron Goodman, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be here. Um, and yeah, I mean, what an introduction. It, it makes me feel a little bit humble when I hear, hear those words, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, and there was lots more like them. So uh, I'm sure they're very well earned. But um, so let's talk about you, Byron. Um, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what sort of a childhood that was. Yeah, well, um, it, it starts off in Zimbabwe. Um, I was born in a village. It was just outside of a, an area called Nyanga um, in Zimbabwe, the Eastern Highlands. Um, it's pretty close to Mozambique, um, pretty rural. And um, my mum and dad uh, met in Zimbabwe and I was born in Zim. Um, my dad was a teacher at the time. Um, it was pretty hard, hard living, to be fair. And then we moved over to the UK when I was about two, two, three years old. And um, it started off in, in, in Ealing, actually, living with my grandparents in Ealing. And my dad then uh, moved to Oxford to uh, basically pick up his, um, his degree and finish that off. And um, I remember my mum was working in McDonald's. My dad was studying and we were in a one room together, really, for, for quite a few years until my dad moved to um, a little village called Wendover in, in Buckinghamshire. Um, really small town, actually, um, but just outside mm. of London. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's me. Yeah. What was that must have been like for your parents to leave their homeland and come all this way to a cold, cold, I'm talking weather-wise place um, with, with a very different culture? It, it must have been incredibly difficult. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, it kind of has really like shaped them and shaped me. I think whenever you make a move to a different country, um, you know you have that vibe where you need to to build those relationships, right? You need to get and invest in the, in in, in, the com in the like the company, mm. but also the the feeling of the place and incredibly tough, you know. But I think mm. one thing that stood out for me was, you know, my mum rolled her sleeves up and just got stuck in working and, and driving it. And I take a lot of inspiration from that, right? Because it doesn't matter where you start. It's about what you do today to, to drive tomorrow. Right. So, um, mm. yeah. I like that. And maybe it's a theme we can talk about. It doesn't matter where you start because sometimes I find people use that as energy that they look at where they start and they, they they take a source of energy as in, I want to get away from this. I want something better, whatever better means. And other people can often use it as an excuse, as in, I didn't have a great start. And I wonder where you fall on that, that it's not a theory, it's, I guess, on, on, on what I just said. Yeah, I mean, 
like totally I, I use it for i use it for motivation i think there's one key moment that really kind of stands out where i i kind of had that shift i think in mindset um i was 17 right i was playing football for semi-pro team i had a lot of fun at school i used to drive incredibly fast and i remember i was um on my way to an interview to be a carer at, um, at a hospice um, as a part-time job. And I was late. Um, some things don't change, Paul, I can assure you. Um, and I was driving incredibly fast. And I um, must have been about 70 miles an hour. And I uh, I actually crashed into the back of a, another car. Um, and um, I was in a helicopter going to the hospital. And my parents were actually in Zimbabwe at the time. And I remember my friends were the only people I could call to come to the hospital. And um, there was a moment there like where, you know, when you hit the airbag, it all went white, completely white. Ooh. And I remember thinking, shit, I'm in heaven. <laughs> Mum's going to kill me. <laughs> Mum's going to kill me. And How's she going to kill you? You're already dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, it's just hilarious. Mum's going to yeah. kill me. I'm dead. Um, and I remember laying in the hospital and, and I was thinking about football. I was thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. And it, it just was a realisation to me that, you know, there's, like, you can have it all, Ooh. but it can go like that. Ooh. And actually you know, we've got to seize the day. And I think that was a really big moment in my life where, you know, you strip back, you know, your parents and family aren't around and it's yourself. And you mm. can, you realize it can just go so quickly, right? Mm. You just got to take it, take that opportunity. It's interesting, yeah. Um, what, what was it like uh, growing up in Wendover? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, it was a little bit like, like being on the set of the in-betweeners, right? You know, going to school, you know, messing around, nothing's going to happen. You know, yeah. I remember like the local, the local policeman, you know, would know everybody's parents. So if Ooh. you were, you know, I don't know, going to, to, to the sweet store to pick up some Haribo during class Ooh. time, your parents would know about it, um, which yeah. was, which was painful at times. But I Ooh. think, as an environment, you know, I was probably, I was one of the few people um, with a diverse background in that school. Mm. Mm. But, you know, openly, I had had an amazing experience. Like, mm. I, I didn't have, I never felt outside of the community. I always felt part of the community. And I think it's testament to the people around there. And, you know, obviously now you hear a lot about discrimination and, and and challenges in in the workplace but for me growing up i had a fantastic childhood experience i think Ooh. my mum had had a different sentiment and it was i think there was quite a bit of struggle actually between us on that front because i think she had come from an environment in zimbabwe where things were a little bit more black and white excuse the pun excuse the pun but more black and white um, but for me growing up, I felt very much part of the community and, you know, being mixed race as well. I think 
sometimes the challenge is you don't feel like you have an identity Ooh. but actually I felt very much part of the community in Wendover and I, I loved actually Ooh. almost being you know different and unique Ooh. in in the community Ooh. I've always found that though with the English very welcoming people on the whole that I mean, I, I went to England as an immigrant myself and you might say, okay, I'm white, my face fits in with, with, with a lot. But I was there at the time in the 80s when the IRAs were setting up bombs uh, on the UK mainland. So people would have had every right to look at me suspiciously and they never did. They were always fair. They always looked at you as an individual and what's this person like? And uh, I just found that, I don't know that it's a uniquely English thing, but it's certainly very strong in England. Um, that would be my experience anyway. But but I the difference is I went there as an adult where I would have had a, a, probably an, a, a different identity formed externally and brought that with. So I don't know, but um, I always give them credit for that as a, as, as a place to be an immigrant. A different view because I think you said you were two when you, when you went there. So you would have probably grown up very much with a, a, an English identity. Or certainly a British identity. Hey, th there's a question for you, Byron. Can I address that? Yeah. What's the difference between an English identity and a British identity? Oh wow. Um, I feel I, I I don't I, you know what I feel I I certainly feel both actually. You know, my mm. dad's English Englishman, um, mm. but you know, Zimbabwe was part of the Commonwealth, and even when you go back there now, there is a lot of positive remnants of British society, Ooh. right? And, you know, I think there's sometimes, you know, wrongly or rightly, you know, the British Empire has, has a bad rap, right? Um, but, you know, certainly I actually feel quite empowered by the union and, um, you know, the approach to things. But I think on your Ooh. point around being an immigrant, I, you know, I've always had a fairly, you know, positive experience. I've traveled all over the world with work. Ooh. I remember, you know, when I left uni, I um, was in Australia, Singapore, Dubai, working a consultancy gig. And, um, you know, even when I made the move to Ireland, um, which was a huge move for me, the people in, in Dublin were so welcoming. You know, I remember... Ooh going to one of my best friends at uh, mum and dad's house on a Sunday, we'd, we'd watch Man United lose quite frequently, which was really enjoyable. Nothing's changed, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, at the time, they weren't really used to Man United losing, so it was quite fun to, to watch them lose, especially as a Chelsea fan. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was good. But the, actually, the society there was super welcoming. And I think it's a mindset mm. thing, right? You've got to go in there with, the, with an open mind and, and build your relationships up. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Were you ambitious when you were younger? 100%. Um, you know, there's no tuition for being, having ambition, right? Mm. There's no tuition for having ambition. And, um, yeah, like... I've always okay, stop, 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 one second. Did you just say there's no tuition for having ambition? Yeah, there's no tuition. Yeah, I've never heard that phrase before. I really like it. I just yeah. had to let it sort of process for a second. And uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It's a conditioning, is it? Yeah. Like your environment so. creates it. Yeah, I think so. But I think it comes from within, right? It comes mm. from within, you know? I think you have... You have um, 
people around you that can influence you and 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 guide you and shape you in the right mm. direction but ultimately you're the one that has to have dreams mm. you're the one that has to have the goal the vision the ambition and mm. no one's gonna teach you mm. it and you're suddenly gonna magically have this certificate that says oh look you're mm. hugely ambitious right that comes from you mm. Um, mm. and i had that from the get-go i mean whatever sport whatever activity at school you know i always wanted to be the best um you know even believe it or not paul we were at school and this is quite funny it's a tad tad of racial tad racial profiling but I'll, I'll accept it on this one because it's quite funny so the school wants to do a theater production and they decided to do fame right now the only um one of the lead ro roles is tyrone and being the only mm. sort of person of color at the school I did get a call to say, oh, would you like to do to do Tyrone in fame? And I remember going, going home thinking, wow, I'm going to have to learn ballet here and I'm going to have to learn how to sing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember speaking to my mum and dad about it and they were looking at me going, like, normally you're into rugby and football and everything else. Is, mm. this, is this really your thing? It's a commitment, Byron. I said, well, you know what? I'm going to be on stage. And you know what? I'm going to have my time to shine. And I, I, I was excited about it. And I threw myself into it. And I remember I remember the ballet classes, Paul. It was horrendous. Everyone was laughing at me. I wasn't the most flexible at 17, yeah. even now. But um, yeah, I love it. Mm. Was it the attention you loved or the, the activity? It's the challenge. Right. It's always the challenge. Um, that Ooh. excites me. Um, anything that I find that takes you out of your comfort zone gets you into growth mode. Um, 100%. So, you know, an example of that would be really like I have many passions outside of work, professionally, personally. Like at the moment, my big challenge, and please don't ask me to do something on this, is learning Italian. Um, my missus, uh, my fiance, we're getting married this year and, you know, we're getting married in Italy and I'm trying to learn Lovely. Italian and it's Ooh. not because I want the attention or anything like that. It's because it's the right thing to do, but it actually tests Ooh. me. It challenges my mind. Ooh. It makes me go out of my Ooh. comfort zone. You know, I like doing skydives at the weekend. I like jumping off, um, mountains and doing heli skiing. You know, that's what I like doing because it scares the shit out of me. But at the end of it, I can look back and say, you know what, I've achieved something here. Mm. And, you know, there's many examples. I think like the London Marathon was probably the funniest, but the worst of those experiences for me. One of my best friends uh, signed up for the marathon when he was 22. And I remember looking at him going, he's gonna get that medal and I'm not gonna get that medal. I hated running. So I was like, you know mm. what? I'm going to sign up. I'm going to raise money for charity. I'm going to push myself. And I tell you what, at mile 20, 21, I hit the wall. And that wasn't for show. That wasn't for Ooh. the attention. The people Ooh. on the, you know, in, on, in London that were cheering you on, you know, it felt fantastic. But when you're sat there in that hole and you can't move forward, you don't want to move forward, and you've got the rhinos in the rhino suits running past you, you've got the SpongeBob SquarePants running past you, you know, 
that's when it really hits your gut and you're like, yeah. you know what, I'm going to yeah. do this. And it's that yeah. feeling that I live for, definitely. But it's interesting. How was your time, by the way? Did you, or was that something that bothered, or was it just the finish line you cared most about? I cared most about the, the finish line. Um, I got just over four hours. So it was four Ooh. hours, five minutes. Um, nice. That's a decent time. I mean, for somebody who doesn't run marathons on a regular basis, that's a decent time. It was good. I just yeah, had, you I have just to stay running the whole time to achieve that. You can't, you can't, you can't walk part of it to 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 get anywhere close to four hours. Yeah, I mean, you can't. You you got to run the whole way through. I think mm. there are many excuses that I will put out, but I'm not going to share those with you for that time. But I do remember running across the finish line. And I've got my friends, my family there. Yeah. Bearing in mind, my brother is an athlete, right? He's a runner. Yeah. So they're all there, probably been waiting there for an hour for me to cross the finish line, right? <laughs> and I remember SpongeBob running one side of me, the Rhino running the other side of me. But you know Ooh. what? I crossed the finish line, I burst into tears because it was something that I felt like I could never do, you know? Yeah. It was... It was out of my comfort zone. I had mm. that breaking point. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I just I just cried with happiness. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I get it. I get it. I did. I, it's like I reached the breaking point, but it didn't break me. And there's something really, really powerful and elemental in that. And, and I can remember, I, mean, I did it myself. I've only done it once, but I can understand what it's like when you get to that. And you, you talked about the SpongeBob. I remember at a 20 mile mark and it was this 70 year old or somebody looked like they were 70, just, just tipping along beside me. And I thought, I can't, I can't, you know, and, and you just, all you want to do is just walk. And, 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 and then I remember the last mile, I, all I wanted to do was just, just, I knew I could walk it. But then I thought my mother, my wife, my two sons at the time, I don't think that my daughter was around. She was actually, yeah, she was quite, quite young. And uh, I knew that they were going to be close to the end line. They were going to position themselves in that last mile, that half mile. And I knew that as soon as I stop, or as soon as I walk, they're going to be there. And I don't want them to see me walking. I want them to see me drag myself over that line. And there's something really powerful. I, I, I get it. It's, I don't know that can, people can appreciate it. Um, unless you've done it because it's like it's your your legs your body has long since given out and it's only your mind is is dragging you along it's yeah talk to me about the skydiving I'm fascinated by that because that's a very different type of challenge it's awful the first time I did it um, I was in Italy mm. and Paola my fiance blindfolded me put me in the car with my future mother-in-law. <laughs> and um, I didn't have a clue what was going on. Mm. They were like, oh, we've got a little surprise for you. <laughs> I, I was hoping for like a big, big sort of eating of pizza and pasta and then maybe hop on a boat and cruise around for a little bit, you know? So I get to this airfield and um, I didn't know at the time, it was me trying to do the James Bond. They're turning left, they're turning right. Where, where could they be going? <laughs> Get to this airfield. And I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> and did my you know mother, that it was parachute jump? Yeah, yeah. My mother-in-law yeah. was looking at me and she was like, he's going to run away. And I'm like, I'm, I was just like, <clears throat> I'm not running away. So I I, I'm curious where, where this came from, Byron. Had you mentioned it at some point that you would like to do this and your girlfriend was, was organizing this as a treat? Or was it was it a test? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a test. It was definitely a test. Look, wow. I, I'm a I'm a pretty confident person, but I do love challenging myself, and I think she yeah. she knows that, right? So, yeah. you know, I think a lot of my presence at Christmas could be considered quite dangerous for, for me <laughs> for my health, but I love it. Mm. Um, mm. And actually, that little push to to go was was phenomenal. Um, I think the worst bit about it, Paul, was you're going up in this plane and um, the propellers, you're looking at the propellers and you're thinking, this this plane's barely going to get us up there. And Ooh. I've got this guy attached to me at the back, just having an absolute whale of a time. Ooh. And I was like thinking, oh, I'll be fine. And then a little beep goes on in the airplane and it's like, you can go out now. And he's shoveling you along and you can't stop him. You can't stop yeah, him. It's so yeah. frozen. And then you, you, you literally, you have that moment of elation and it's, it's similar to the marathon experience, you Ooh. know, where you've got that Ooh. moment of like, I can't go back. And you've got to just lean into those moments. And I think Ooh. in business, it's the same in, in, Ooh. In, in the personal life, it's the same. Mm. But those are the moments that we live for, right? Those are the moments that when you're, mm. you're down the pub or with your family and your friends, that's what you're going to look back on and be really proud of. So you've got to find those yeah. moments, you know? Have you, but you've done more parachute jumps than just that one, right? You've done more since. Yeah, yeah, I've done a couple more since. Um, okay. I've also done, yeah, like I did one out in Oman, which was really cool, um, which was beautiful. It was over the desert. And um, we were doing some paramotoring there at the time. And um, that was really fun. Paramotoring yeah. is crazy. You've got a motor on your back and you're sort of running to try and get up in the air, which is, which is good. Oh, wow. Fun. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, so I did the parachute jump once as well and I absolutely loved it. And I know what you're talking about. It's just it's just a thrill. But I still feel I haven't done it properly, not unless I jump. Because you're right, you're, you're attached to somebody else. And they jump, you don't jump. You just happen to be attached to them. Now, you still get the thrill. But I just feel that until, until you're at the edge and you have to summon up and you're, there's nobody else there to bail you out, that to me is the ultimate. That or well, a bungee jump yeah. over a gorge or something. Yeah, well, you know what? I think when Paola watches this podcast back, I know what I'm going to be doing this summer. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. <laughs> You're very welcome. Nice to meet you, Paolo. And the bungee yeah, yeah. jump. Oh, the bu That's the one that would terrify me the most. So, uh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should probably talk a little bit about your, your professional career. Uh, was there anything in your growing up that would have been close to having a sales career? Uh, yeah, like I had a few pretty diverse jobs growing up I think one of the main ones was I was I was actually working at a company called McCormack's it's a crisp factory um you know this Thai sweet chili crisps right mm. you know, they make the flavoring 
right. for their tie chili crisps. And my job was to pick up some of the powder and put it in a big mixer. And I had a big hairnet on. It was horrible. I was doing it while I was at uni. And um, I remember coming home stinking of Thai sweet chili. And um, I went online and I was like, I just don't want to smell like this anymore. <laughs> so I found a job um, which was actually fundraising for charities. Um, and it was a really, really interesting experience for me. You know, you would literally be focused on going on to a different city in the UK, be on the street, representing a charity and try and convince people to sign up to make regular donations to the charity. So this um, is full on chugger stuff. Yeah, yeah, full on. Yeah, That's full hard. On. That yeah. is, that is, must be the toughest sales job there is. Yeah, I mean, after the crisp factory and the Thai sweet chili, I loved it. You know, I was like, I can talk ah, okay. to people here. Um, I can talk yeah. to people. But it was full yeah. on. I mean, like emotionally, like what you have to go through, it's tough because, you know, you've got everybody walking past Ooh. and, you know, you, you really get a quite an interesting look at society because you have the people that walk past and won't even look at you. They'll cross the street and go down on the other side of the street just to avoid you. Um, and then you have people that just say hello and hey. And actually, Ooh. it was a really interesting experiment for me from a social dynamics perspective because the power of just saying hello and acknowledging someone who's doing that job is immense. You know, immense. Interesting. You don't have to sign yeah. up. Just saying hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're here. You're yeah. doing a job to, for charity. Is yeah. You get a really good feeling. And that little bit of positive energy you take it into the next conversation that you have. And there are days where I was up in Aberdeen, I couldn't understand anybody in the street there. You know, the accent was crazy. And I'm trying to convince him to sign up for the British Red, Cro Red Cross. Mm. And, and you know what? There were days where no one would speak to me and even look wow. at me. But then there were a couple of days where the odd person wouldn't sign up. They'd go, I love what you're doing. Keep, keep going. And those little nuggets, you know, Ooh. helped you in the next sale. You know, that bit of positivity. Ooh. How has that influenced you then when you got into more mainstream selling as a career? How did those lessons from the street serve you well? It, it's funny because, you know, working at Salesforce, Oracle, Qualtrics, iterable, right? You get a lot of formalized training. Ooh. You know, you become a professional in that, in that sense. But there's some fundamentals that I think take salespeople from being an average player to being world-class. And that is remembering we're dealing with people here. It's a human touch. And Ooh. actually, I think a lot of the time, we can get so focused on the process, the methodology, that you lose sight of the fact it's people. And there's, there's people on both sides, right? You've got you and dealing with your customers, you dealing with your account team and your internal stakeholders. It's people. You managing yourself, right? When you've got your SVP or your CEO hunting you for a deal that needs to close that quarter, you're under pressure. 
Mm. So as a human, you're suffering. And it's about mm. having that self-awareness of you, but of the people around you, that makes the real difference. That's interesting. Yeah, it, I mean, we've always been told it's a people business, but I think what I'm hearing from you is that it's, it is so easy to lose sight of that when you're in a large organization that's, that's, there's all these processes and tools and methodologies that it can be, just follow the process. No, engage with people. And the process will support that, but it's about the people. That's what I'm hearing you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's the, the process is fundamental. Though That's the basics, right? That's the mm. basics. That's the table stakes. Mm. But ultimately, you know, the, the most successful sellers, for me, have that empathy. They understand people. They understand when to push, how to push. Mm. You know, and that's that's the difference. Yeah. Now, so here's a question for you on that, because you had a great phrase earlier about ambition is not to, or to, there's no tuition in ambition. Yeah. That it's something that's a part of you, but also is formed and, and influenced by the people around you and your circumstances. Is that true also of people's skills? Is it something that you develop really early on the street, playing with other kids, respecting other people? Or is it something that can be taught? Do, is it, do you have it or not? I guess is my question. No, no, I, like 100%, I think you can, you, can, you can teach people skills. You know, a lot of the time I speak with my, my sales team, they'll, they'll be so familiar with this, right? You've got the science and you've got the art. And normally you'll have one person that's really strong at the science, maybe not the art. You'll have one person oh. who's really great at the art, but not at the science. And actually it's about first being aware of your gaps, right? So if it is people skills, actually just understanding what those skills are, right? Is a, is a huge step. And nine oh. times out of 10, once people really understand that's what they're missing, you know, and they really lean into it. Of course, you can understand people. And the thing oh. is, with people, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges people have, and I, this is an example I've seen in, in, in some of my teams, you'll have someone who's a great people person. And you'll have someone who's maybe not so but amazing with the process. And they go, I want to be like that guy. I want to be like, I want to be like that guy. How does he present how he engages with people? It's amazing. Right? Now, the first bit is you're never going to be that guy. You need to find yourself first, Ooh. you know, and actually you don't need to emulate everybody else. You need to find you, find your authentic self and then connect Ooh. with humans. You know, it's connect with people and the people that I think are the best with connecting with others really understand themselves and they're authentic to who they are. And it's natural to connect Ooh. with people who are authentic. Ooh. That makes a lot of sense. Tell me, Byron, who past or present inspires you the most? Oh, it's a really, really, really good question. Like, um, I was reading actually recently about Sacha, Sacha Nadella. I thought he was, um, he's been a fantastic leader with, with the situation at Microsoft. I think Mark Benioff, um, having worked at Salesforce is, 
is a really inspirational leader for a number of Ooh. factors. I think the organization that he's built is, is a fantastic organization, but one of the things that he wrote in um, his book, Business Behind the Cloud, Ooh. was around foundation. Ooh. And it's around giving back. And I actually think that is a real inspiration for for people in business. And it inspires Ooh. me greatly. Um, you know, the business of business is, is also to do good, right? Ooh. And to help people. And it's obviously making money, but Ooh. it's the right way to do it. And that, that inspires me a lot. I, I'm going to make an assumption here that you may not have met these people so who in your own, who's touched you personally, you know, who had a, who had a huge influence uh, on you, on how you think, and has inspired you directly to, to push yourself? Yeah, there's, there's one guy immediately who, who I think is one of the best leaders I've ever worked with, is a guy called Simon Jones. He was the uh, head of the UK CX business for Oracle. I worked with him at Salesforce. Um, he was one of the RVPs in the business. Um, and he's a phenomenal leader. Um, one of the best I've ever, ever worked with. Mm. He, you know, even, even, you know, now, you know, working in different organizations, you know, he's the sort of person that whatever time of night you can give him a call and he'll mm. be able to, you know, Share, share insight and perspective. Ooh. Yeah. Break that down a bit. You said a phenomenal leader. Break that down a bit more. You said one is that he's always available. What are some of the other things is when you, when you think about a phenomenal leader that are the main constituent parts for you? It's a great, it's a great question. Um, you're going to see a theme here, Paul. It starts with people, genuinely. The best leaders I've worked with understand they're dealing with people and they know how to get the best out of people. So they're good people managers, right? Oh. They understand how to unpeel the onion and, and find out what people what's driving people. I think on top of that, you know, in the world that we're in, um, you need to be smart, right? There's so much opportunity in the cloud business, the cloud world, right? Actually, there's there's so much. We're growing at a phenomenal rate. You know, regardless of competition, if we do the right things as an industry, every single organization can be successful because there's a huge need. Um, but actually, the difference is the smarts, the strategy, the go-to market. And Simon's phenomenal at that. At that. Um, another leader that I worked with closely was um, Arsenio Otero. Um, previously at I know Arsenio. Yeah. 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 Great guy. Just, phenomenally phenomenal and just hugely smart and intelligent and actually having that in your arsenal gives you unprecedented results and i think it starts oh. at the top and, and filters down into the organization um but i think if you really want to sum it up into into two buckets um i think it's the best leaders give clarity and energy they give clarity in terms of the strategy the direction of the organization, the smarts, the science, and they give energy to their people. They give positive energy to their people. That means that they can be pushing um, in those marathon moments, right? When times are hard, you're getting that positive energy of people on the sideline mm. to push you onto that next level. 
That's really good. I like that. Yeah. In what you're doing currently, Byron, what's motivating you the most? You know what? I think there's so many things that we're doing as an organization. And, you know, going away from like the product, just genuinely being a values led organization is hugely inspiring. It was one of the main reasons why I decided to join the company. Um, being values driven and, and really focusing in, in that in a way where as a leader, you have the power and the support of the organization to invest in your people and develop them to the next stage of their career. Um, mm. You know, I think that's that's hugely exciting. I think from a technology front, you know, it's it reminds me of when I joined Salesforce 10 years ago, right? Um, the reason being is we're having meetings with C-level and they can't believe what we're able to deliver. And you have those wow moments. And as a salesperson, yes, it's about the process. It's about going through the right steps in the buying process. But when you have those wow moments with people who are just trying to do a job on their side and you can Ooh. really make a difference in their lives, I mean, that's that's really fun, right? That's exciting. Ooh. Mm. Um, when, when your time is done, Byron, career-wise, and you want to hang up the boots, what would you like to do? Because I know you said you had many different personal passions outside of work. Look, I, I think it, you know, one of the things that I set out to do, you know, when I started in the game of, of IT was to genuinely just get into enterprise sales and to be a global account director. And, you know, this is stuff that I've now achieved. For me now leading, you know, some amazing organizations like Oracle and Iterable, um, my biggest ambition is just to continue making that impact mm. and helping as many people as I can to fulfill the most they can in their careers. You know, it'd be remiss of me to say that I don't have ambitions to really head up some of these organizations. You know, I'd love to be there in mm. 10, 15 years time, working with an organization at the top mm. of an organization and, and really driving that strategy. And, you know, mm. when you said about leaders that inspire you, you know, Mark Benioff, I did meet him actually. Um, and okay. it was around foundation work mm. that we were driving at the time. Um, you know, actually, if you see the level of impact he's been able to have on so many people's lives, mm. you know, that's exciting for me, you know, mm. and I think just keeping them, keep on building, mm. working with people, doing the right things. Mm. And that's where I'd like to get to. Um, when, when, when all that is done from a core perspective and you reach your, your ambition, money's not an issue and it's time to, to leave that game. What is it that you'd like to invest your time in? Oh, it has to be uh, philanthropy um, and making an impact. I, I don't think that's ever going to stop in me. I think like mm. it, it, com it comes from my background, Paul. Like I went back to Zimbabwe, uh, must have been five years ago now, right, with Paola. And mm. um, I went to see family and we've got family in the city. We've still got family in rural areas, right? And you go back mm. there, right? And I'm at my auntie's house and 
they were digging a borehole for for water, right? Um, and my cousins are, are working on the farm, right? And life's hard, right? Ugh. Life's hard. Like we're here in the UK. We don't have to dig a borehole for water. Like, actually, there's a. I think there's a sense of duty, like, you know, regardless of money or status or where you're at in your career, is to to give back. And mm. I think it, it pays back in so many ways that develops you as a person. And 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 I think after career, you know, that will be my passion, right? To be in a position where you can be helping others, supporting them. It doesn't have to be financially. It can just be a conversation, you know, but actually doing that and focusing on that, I think would be my real passion. And I think, of course, spending time with Paola, and I'm sure she'll chuck me out of a few more planes by then. Um, But yeah, of course. (laughs) Hopefully with parachutes. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I sometimes get the look, you know, so we'll see about that. Very good. Um, Did I... I have the back of my mind somewhere that you were uh, you were in a management leadership position at a very young age. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Talk to me about that and what it was that people saw in you that helped you achieve that. Um, so yeah, it started at Salesforce. Um, Andy Lawson, great leader, um, put me on the Salesforce Accelerate program at the time. I must have been 28, 28 years old. Um, and at Salesforce, that's pretty, pretty young, pretty good going. Mm. Um, I completed that. And I think there was a lot of learnings on that course. We did the seven habits piece. And you do that, um, look back on your obituary and you, you spend that, those five minutes writing what you want everybody to think um, of you when you're dead. And that's when impact really came out as a big theme for me, right? Mm. And I had a few connections with leaders after that. And the opportunity came around really at Oracle to, to pick up and lead. What at the time was a new function, it was to build a strategic accounts team at Oracle, um, which was amazing. You know, the strategic mm. accounts, the biggest accounts with the highest potential go and lead that team. And I think there were two things that really stuck out with me. Um, Leopoldo, the the SVP of Oracle at the time, said to me, he goes, have you got blood on your teeth? And what he meant by that was, have you done it? Mm. Yeah. And when you have got the blood in your teeth, are you hungry to go for more? And, you know, that is me. Um, Mm. When Arsenio was working at at Salesforce, and those two were buddies, actually, helped me get the job at Oracle because Leo called Arsenio and Arsenio goes, yeah, you can trust this guy. Mm. He's got blood in his teeth. Mm. Um, I went went back and, and I think about it. You know, I was an SDR. I was a BDR. I was an ECS. I was an enterprise account exec at Salesforce in the space of five years. And the reason why you can get there is you've got that hunger, you've got that blood in your teeth. And I think the shift for me from blood in the teeth rep to leader was a different challenge, right? But that was the key thing, I think, that 
the organization needed at the time at Oracle to take that business forward. Mm. There's two things in that that I wanted to, to ask you about. One, you mentioned about the different challenge going into leadership than it was going from SDR, BDR, ECS, um, that path. And then the other one would be more from an advice perspective. So if there was somebody right now in their early mid-20s and they're on that path, they're an SDR, BDR, et cetera, and, and, it's, and I would imagine if they're ambitious, that the holy grail for them will be to put on a fast track program because they tend to be invite only. You don't know about it unless you display something. And it's that something I wanted to ask you about. What is it somebody who's ambitious? What do they need to be focusing on doing both internally in the organization and then externally focused so that they're, they're standing out in a way that gets them picked for that? Let's start with that first and then we'll talk about the differences uh, between the two in terms of what it takes. Yeah, it, it's going to sound repetitive, but you've got to talk, right? That's just, that's the starting point when you want to go and do something differently. You've got to get yourself in a position where you are talking with your leader, other people in roles that you want to be in and having conversations with them, right? Mm. Having conversations with your network. And from those conversations, you'll get a very unique perspective on what your gaps are, but importantly, what your strengths are. So I think it starts with you having those conversations. And I think that shows to the business or any organization, humility, humility. And as a leader, you know, reflecting back, actually that's one of the key things that you will need to be successful. Because at the end of the day, it's not always you on the front line. So mm -hmm. you need to have the humility to understand what that person's going through and actually, you may have been a great salesperson yourself, but it doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily change this situation with this customer. Ooh. So having that humility, I think, is key. I think the other gaps that you need to kind of demonstrate or, or things you need to think about is actually defining your ambition. You know, what is your goal? Being able Ooh. to have that conversation with your, your manager and your team in a way that, you know, is, is level-headed um, mm. and naturally you need to have performance you know that that comes mm. with it but having those a focused approach to personal development I think is really important it's interesting what I'm hearing in that Byron is that there's really almost a direct overlap certainly very many common threads between what you defined earlier as the key elements of leadership clarity you mentioned um, performance and that it's really then it's about self-leadership and it's the same traits that apply that if, if you want to be in a position of leadership you really are demonstrating those in both yourself and to others before you get there be before somebody decides to pick you out that they have to see those traits you have to communicate you mentioned about talking and, and letting people know you have clarity of vision um, you have to have humility, you have to be willing to be vulnerable, but, but it starts with hunger and ambition because without that, it's difficult to be vulnerable. That, that's what I'm taking from what, you're, what, what I'm hearing from you right now. Yeah, 100%. Look, I think it comes down to those two things, clarity and energy, right? Mm. Have clarity on where you want to go, how you want to get there, what your gaps are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and have the energy 
the humility, the skill set to have those conversations and drive those conversations in a positive way mm-hmm. that give energy mm-hmm. to others. You know, if you're having a conversation with your mentor, like think about how you can leave that meeting in a positive way. How can you add positive energy in that meeting? Because it will be reciprocated. And when it comes up into a leadership position where you're managing then five people and then it'll be 10 and then it's 15, right? You then need to do the same things. You need to give them clarity on on vision and direction. And you need to make sure, damn sure, that they're leaving the room in every engagement with you with a feeling of energy and positivity. That means that they're going to do something better today than they did yesterday. Mm. Does that energy, giving that energy, is that draining in some respects of your own energy when you have to give it so much to other people? Well, I think you've got to be mindful of your balance, for sure. Because in any role, you know, if you're performing, you're going to be low on energy, right? So that's a that's a slightly different thread. But Ooh. ultimately, you know, if you're in a leadership position, you do need to get energy from working with people. You know, you're responsible Ooh. for direct reports and, and a team culture. And for me personally, I actually get a lot of energy actually from my team. It's not Ooh. me necessarily driving that positivity all the time. It's inspiring others so that they can do the same. And that's Ooh. when you have a multiplier effect and genuinely you get outstanding results. You know, Ooh. one of the big things that we saw at Oracle at the time when I first picked up that role was there was a bit of a culture of one person in the team was very, very, very successful and the rest of the team were, you know, trundling along. The business was happy with that. The way we got different results in that time at Oracle was to build a team culture where you have those multipliers, right? So it's not just me giving energy, it's the whole team learning Mm. from each other and driving forward positively. And that's when you start getting exceptional results. It's not just one person on the team that's hitting their number. It's three, it's four, it's 80% of them, 50% of them, you know? And if you can make Mm. those improvements across the team, you know, your results will rapidly improve. Mm. The the analogy that springs into my mind as you talk about that is like, whether it's a concert stage performer or as a footballer, or you said you're a Chelsea fan, that the footballers will often talk about the energy they get from the crowd, but the crowd only give that energy when they see it first. So if the footballers are playing out of their skins and really giving everything, then the crowd lifts it. It, it. That's the analogy. It's like that, that if you as a leader are giving it, then you get it back and that kind of recharges you. Oh, 100%. It's a mirror. It's a mirror effect. Mm, interesting. You give it yeah. and it's, re- it's reciprocated. But it happens with clients naturally, right? You yeah. go into a meeting and you're flat. You get a flat response, right? Mm. You go in with high energy, you're going to have high energy back. Right, whether they like it or not, it happens. You know, if you're negative, <laughs> yeah. you might you're getting energy negative. whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah, I love you it. Know? Yeah, that's the vibe. Yeah, so no, it's very true. You get back what you give off. It's I couldn't agree more. I love it. Uh, I'm just conscious of time, Brian. I had a couple of quick questions I wanted to ask you because one, you, the one that's at the back of my mind you mentioned a moment ago was the differences in going through that. It was really the transition from rep to leader. 
and what that was like for you and how it challenged you and what you learned as a result? That's my second last question and then we'll, we'll finish up. It was hard for me. I, my first day, I kind of think they hated me. Like genuinely. Like, and I'm a people person as you, as you know now, right? Mm. Um, I knew they hated me. They're like, who's this young guy coming in here who's going to be our boss? Mm. They've got so much more experience than him, on, apparently. Um, and, and you know what? I don't need to listen to him. And that, those, first few weeks, those few first few weeks, genuinely, I'm like, I could have just made my money as a rep and just got on with it quietly. Mm. Um, but actually, it, it comes back to that thing of humility, Paul, right? Mm. Because once I understood what people were going through in their individual lives, what was driving this behavior, you're really in a position to respond. Mm. So I think for me, the big learning was humility as a leader, because you can be an amazing rock star salesperson, but when you step up into leadership, you're not the one on the front line. So mm. if you're going to impact and influence your people, you need to unpeel the onion, be humble, understand what they're going through and empathize. Mm. I think outside of that, you know, the biggest learning for me was really bucketing it in down into key things you can influence over the coming year, months, three months, mm. and making sure you have that focus, the clarity to mm. drive success and in every every organization every leadership job is completely different the people are mm. different the process is different the technology is different the culture is different but actually going into any leadership role today the first thing i think you need to do is be humble and seek to understand and then on the other side of it create clarity of direction for yourself but for your teams and the organization Love it. and of course be positive and bring the energy. I love it. Final question for you, Byrne. You mentioned when you did the seven habits training, it started with an exercise where you, you look back. And my question for you is when your time on this planet is done and there's a book written about your story, about your life, what would you like the title to be? <sighs> the title? Ah. Oh. I think I think it's got to be Byron cared. Well, Byron gave a shit. <laughs> That's probably you will sell better. Yeah. <laughs> you get people's attention. They'll pick that one up. I love I it. I think that's a bestseller. Byron gave a shit. Yeah. <laughs> I because... love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. I think like if there's one thing that Again, I, I think that we can we can get lost in in some of the abstract, and I love talking about process and and things we can improve and the, and the science. I, I love it. It's it's what I've needed to be successful. But actually, you know, when you really bucket it down to those core cool, core cool things like the clarity, the energy, 
you know, you need to be passionate. You need to give a shit. And whether it's um, running a marathon or, you know, helping some friends build out a shed in their garden or picking up someone from school or doing them a favor, I want people to remember me for giving a shit. And if it's, and if it's because I'm an organization and I really care, then, then that's cool. But I want that to be on the football pitch. As I said, if I'm picking up my mate's kids from school, babysitting them, I want them to think, you know what? He really cared. I love it. I love it. Baron Goodman, it's been absolutely fascinating. And thank you so much for sharing your story with me on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Loved it.